Hey, this is Noah Fritchie, and I'm the lead pastor of Real Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today, and I hope this can inspire you and build your faith. Enjoy the message. Thank you so much for tuning in uh, to Real Church's Easter online service. Hey, if this is your first time joining us, my name is Noah, and I'm the lead pastor here, and thank you so much. Honestly, it is a privilege to have you on the other side of that screen on such a special weekend. Thank you so much uh, for tuning in. It is so great to see you. Guys, I miss every single one of you. Um, I can't wait till we're back together, but right now, I let me just be honest, one of my favorite things to do is to look on social media and see everybody engaging and really just being the church. I just wanted to stop and just say thank you so much church for being with us for engaging for even just liking and commenting and sharing all the posts it is so encouraging to us to see you still involved and uh, really still uh, living the dream out there so I'm so glad that you guys uh, have joined us for really such a special Easter Sunday celebration Hey, this morning my message is just a little bit more serious than normal. And so because of that, I wanted to start off with something just kind of light uh, to really lighten the mood. I don't know about you, uh, but I've spent a lot of time because of this quarantine on social media, just scrolling through social media. And, and uh, there's some there's some really funny things on social media. And I found a couple funny things that I really wanted to share with you this morning. In fact, one of my favorite funny things is really funny church signs. And so I hope it's okay with you on this Easter Sunday. I just wanted to share some of the funniest church signs that uh, I, I've seen around lately, specifically about the virus, which makes it really funny. Here's here's the first sign. I'm going to read them to you, and uh, I, I hope that you get a laugh at this at home. It says, uh, the Bible has always had the answers. <laughs> in James 4, it says, cleanse your hands. So just in case you were worried about it, I hope that you are cleansing your hands. Please be doing that. Another, another sign that I found this week is this, is that, uh, I know it's a little blurry, I'll read this too. It says, give us clean hands and give us Purell hearts. <laughs> I thought that one was pretty clever. I like this one too. It says, uh, these, this is famous quotes. And so a famous quote from God is, fear not. Pretty great, right? A famous quote from Jesus, love one another. And uh, the CDC, a famous quote from the CDC is, wash your hands. <laughs> you better, again, I hope that you are washing your hands at home. Here's another fun uh, church sign. It says this, it says, Jesus can wash away your sin, but you've still got to wash your hands. So please, again, be washing your hands. And uh, in this one here, uh, this is my favorite one. It's the funniest one, I think. It says, six feet apart today is better than six feet under tomorrow. <laughs> I just think, I, I know that one might have a little dark turn, uh, but I just think that one is hilarious. So uh, anyway, thank you for letting me bring some of my funny church signs and amuse you uh, for a little bit today. But uh, we're, we're going to go ahead and jump into our message portion this morning. And really, uh, the Lord put a message on my heart for you today uh, that I've actually preached before today. But in the midst of this chaos, I, I came across it again. And really, it has so much more meaning, I believe, uh, in today's age with this whole pandemic and uh, everything that's going on in our world. In fact, today, I want to talk to you about a way that you can experience true freedom in the time of a crisis. And that freedom is the freedom 
that is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. The freedom that is found in the cross of Jesus. And really, I can't do it any other way this morning, but I just have to get a little serious. And really, over the next few minutes, I just want to describe to you the power of the cross and what it actually looked like. I just want to give you a little bit of a warning while preparing for this message. In fact, every time that I've prepared for this message, I've sobbed like a little baby. <laughs> really, my, my goal today with you guys is to just get through it. <laughs> it's to just get on the other side of that without, without having to sob like a little baby on camera. And so, uh, let, let's, I want to start this message with a verse from 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And so the message of the cross is just foolishness to those who are perishing. They just, it's foolishness. They just wear it around. Uh, they, they have the cross necklace. They have the, the cross tattoo. It, it just, it, it doesn't mean anything to those who are perishing. But to us Christians who are being saved, guess what? The cross is the power of God. The cross in itself, you need to know today, the cross contains power. And I want you to know that Jesus didn't just go to the cross and just do it. That's not what happened. Everything that Jesus went through was done intentionally and for a very specific reason. And there are aspects of the whole crucifixion process that I'm going to describe to you today that are very, very important for you to see. In fact, it's critical that you know that there is power in the blood, that there is power in the blood. There is power, power, <laughs> wonder-working power. Where's the Baptist ad on this chat? You know that song. Uh, but you need to know that there is power in the blood, and that's what Revelations chapter 12 says. Revelations chapter 12 says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last. What has come? salvation and power and authority from Christ. Salvation, power, and authority. I don't know if you know this or not, but you can have all three of those things. But really the sad part about most Christians' lives is that they stop at this whole salvation thing. They get saved and then that's all. But guess what? Jesus has saved you from so much more. He not only wants you to be saved and he not only wants to meet you in heaven, but he wants to give you power and authority. You have access to that today, but so many Christians, we, we miss that and, 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 and we don't use what we have access to. This verse goes on to say that for the accuser, which is the devil of our brothers and sisters, has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. And the verse says, and they have defeated him by what? By the blood of the lamb and by the words of their testimony. You need to know that there is power in the blood. And I want to talk to you about that today. In fact, I just want to take a step back and I just want to walk you through the really interesting few days that Jesus had. Jesus went through a, a very interesting few days, and it all began on a Thursday night before what we would call Good Friday. Which, by the way, Good Friday 
is only good for us. It was absolutely horrible for him. But on that Thursday night, Jesus and his disciples would celebrate the Passover supper. That's where we get communion today. In fact, we are going to take communion today. So I hope you have your elements ready. If not, you have plenty of time to grab those. But on that Thursday night, Jesus and his disciples would celebrate the Passover supper. And after the supper, he, Jesus, washed the disciples' feet. During that time, Judas would, Judas would sneak out one of his disciples and he goes and he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And he basically tells the, the religious leaders, he says, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you where Jesus is if you want to arrest him for that. I, I'll take that silver and I'll tell you where he is if you'll just give that to me. And the chief priests, they would have Jesus arrested. But before that, Jesus had made his way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he was trying to get his heart ready for really the pain that he knew that he was going to have to endure for the next day. Which, by the way, many of you, you right now, you're either, you're either going through something or you're getting ready to go through something just like Jesus. And the best thing that you can do right now if you know that you're getting ready to go through something is to get to God on your knees in prayer before you go through it. Follow Jesus' example. In fact, I just want to encourage you that as a church, that's, that's, what, that's what we did. As we, before, we, before we made any decisions on to cancel church or anything, we made that decision to get on our knees before the crisis and pray to God and just ask us to keep us strong through it. And he has. And that's what Jesus did before that, before he would go to the cross, he would go to his God and he would talk to his God in prayer because Jesus knew how difficult it was going to be. But here's what he did. Jesus found his strength through his relationship with his heavenly father in prayer. And right after Jesus finishes praying, the Roman soldiers would come in to arrest him. And the Bible says from that point on, all night long, Jesus would go through six different trials. And the Bible says that he would go through those trials, six different ones, which, by the way, is absolutely completely illegal. Both in Roman and Jewish law, you can't even try somebody at night. But all night, Jesus would go through those six different trials. He would meet with Annas, Caiaphas. He'd go to the Sanhedrin. And then he, he met with Pilate and then Herod, and then he went back to Pilate. And all this happened between 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. and 6 a.m. And the Bible says in Matthew 26, it says that, uh, it says the chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But guess what? They did not find any. Why didn't they find anything against Jesus? Because he's perfect. He was perfect and he is perfect. Well, how do you convict a perfect person? You can't convict a perfect person. Listen, they, they, these, these religious leaders, they tried to pay people to get him in trouble because they wanted to kill him so bad. And the verse goes on to say that, uh, that, and then the high priest said to him, tell us, 
if you are the Christ. Christ, meaning, the meaning of Christ is this, is that it's the one who has the anointed power to break off the yoke of bondage in your life. Tell us if, if you are that person, the son of God. And Jesus replies, yes, it is as you say. Which, by the way, when Jesus says this, when Jesus says that he is the Christ, it, it means that, that Jesus is not just a good man. When Jesus says that he is the Son of God, can I tell you, he can no longer fit into any other equation. Some of you on the other side of that screen, you've looked at Jesus all your life and you've been like, oh, yeah, I, I like Jesus and I like all of his ways and I like what he stands for. And yeah, I think that he was a good guy. No, 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 no. He can't be a good man. Can I tell you that Jesus, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he is the Lord of your life. He can only be one of them. When Jesus says that I am God, you got to know you either think that he's crazy, he's a liar, or you should bow down and you should worship him. There's no in-between, and there's too many people out there that's living that in-between life. Either he's crazy because he calls himself the Son of God, or you should bow down and worship him and accept him as your Savior. And so Jesus says, yes, I am the Son of God. And the verse would go on to say that then they spit in his face, and they struck him with their fists. And others, and others slapped him. And then what would happen is that they sent Jesus off to one of the most excruciating executions that human history would ever have. I believe, I, I really think that, that Jesus has supreme authority, that he, he could have come at any time in the entire world and he could have paid for our sins. He could have came at any generation. Like, think about it. If Jesus would have come for our generation, it, 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 at worst, what would have happened to him? At worst, it would have been like lethal injection. But I truly think, I think Jesus picked a time in history when execution was the worst to show his love. And I'm telling you, literally, it was the worst in human history. He would go through an execution like no other. And what's so interesting to me and just really what proves the authenticity of the Bible to me and what I'm going to preach on today is that Isaiah 800 years, 800 years before it would happen, 800 years before it would happen, Isaiah saw in exact detail what Jesus would go through. Just to give you an idea of what 800 years is like, our country, America, is only a little over 200 years old. Isaiah 800 years years before it would happen. He saw in detail what Jesus would go through. He prophesied 800 years before it happened, what Jesus would go through. And Isaiah talked about four different things. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse five, it says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Some versions say by his stripes, we are healed. And if you're taking notes today, I would call these the four wounds of the resurrection. 
the four wombs of the resurrection. And what's interesting is that all four of these things, pierced, crushed, punishment, and wounds, all four of these things didn't just happen to Jesus. They didn't just happen to him. They were for you. They were for you. And too many Christians, they're just, yeah, they're going to heaven one day, but you can have all of this on earth today, all the things that Jesus paid for you on that cross. You can have freedom in that cross in your life today. In fact, each of those things in Isaiah, they represent something for you. And I'm going to give them to you today in chronological order, not the order that's in Isaiah, but in the order of how it happened to Jesus. In fact, the first thing that would have happened early that Friday morning, in fact, the first step in any Roman execution was called the scourging. And what the scourging was is that they, they, had, this, they had this whip. It was called the cat of nine tails. It was this big wooden handle with nine leather strands. And on the strands, they would tie bone, sharp bone and rock, and glass, and wire, all these different sharp objects they would tie to these leather strands. And history records that they would, not only did they do that, but they would soak these leather strands in a bucket of water until it became really, really heavy. And many of you, you've probably seen a passion play before where somebody picks up the whip and just whips Jesus with one hand. I'm telling you, these whips were so heavy that they would have had to use two hands, pick up, pick up, that whip, and bring it behind their back. And with all their might, they would hit Jesus, the back of Jesus, and embed sharp objects into his back. And once those objects from that whip, once they would embed in his back, they would yank down. Not just once, not twice, not 10 times, 39 times. 30 nine times 13 across his right shoulder 13 across his left shoulder muscle and then 13 down the middle of the spine in fact roman law wouldn't allow them to do it more than 39 times because most people died because of that and never even made it to the cross but isaiah would tell us why he got that whip on his back. In fact, Isaiah would tell us that the whip really represents freedom in your body. Isaiah said, by his stripes, we are healed. You need to know that every stripe was for some disease. It was for something that you would carry on your body. And Jesus said, I won't only pay for the price of your sin, but I'll pay for your sickness as well. In fact, we as a church, we believe that Jesus took the stripes on his back so that you will never have to have the stripes on your back. So that you can experience real freedom in your body. Well, what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, I'm talking about healing. 
Guess what, everybody? Even in this pandemic, I think it's good for us to remember that the great physician has not closed up shop. Not at all. Some people like to think he has, but I know that he hasn't. Well, why? Why doesn't he heal everyone? Why doesn't he just heal this virus? Well, guess what, everybody? I have no earthly idea. I honestly believe that God heals some people on earth, but he also heals some people in heaven. But here's what I do know from 1 Peter. I do know this. I know that it says that he himself bore our sins in his body on that cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness that by his wounds, oh, by his wounds, you have been healed. You, guess what? You have been healed. You have been healed. It's past tense. God has healed you. He's healed you. But it didn't just stop there. Then they would do something that they normally wouldn't do. They brought Jesus to something called the Praetorium. And when you look it up, it was basically where all the guards hung out. It was like the guards' locker room. And they privately took him there, which, by the way, for them to take him privately there was totally out of protocol. But they took him there to mock him. And they were kind of mad at him because earlier he just claimed to be the king of the Jews. And so to mock him, they put this purple robe on him. And the Bible says that they blindfolded him and they slapped him in the face and they said, well, if you're a prophet, tell us which one of us hits you. Which, by the way, not only could he have told them which one of them hit him, they could have struck him down right there on the spot. But Jesus didn't. In fact, the Bible says that through all of this, he never spoke out. He was like a lamb who went to the slaughter, innocent and quiet. And they slapped him and they spit on him. And they couldn't get a reaction out of him. And so they weaved this crown of thorns, two inch long thorns, and they drove it into his head. And it would have not only created blood rushing and coming down from his face, but it would have reversed and it actually would have created blood rushing to his brain and his face. And it would have created this really intense pressure in his head. And Isaiah saw it. He saw the thorns and he made this really interesting comment about it. In fact, Isaiah says, he says, the punishment on him brought us Peace. Well, where do you not have peace? Where do you not have peace? Where do you not have peace? In your head. That's why the thorns, the thorns, they would represent the freedom in your mind. 
The punishment that brought you peace. And I'm speaking to somebody today on the other side of that screen that because of this pandemic, because of this virus, because of what, what's happening, you're going through some awful stress and anxiety and depression and you're nervous and you worry about everything and you're fearful of what's going to happen day to day and your brain is driving you crazy right now and you don't have any peace. Please, please, please hear me today. Jesus didn't just bring you salvation so that you can go to heaven. He took the thorns on his head so that you can have peace. He paid for your peace. And if you haven't experienced his peace, then you haven't experienced anything that he came to give you. John 14, it says this, it says peace. I leave with you, not just any type of peace. It's his peace. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Listen, if you're on the other side of that screen today and you're afraid and you're fearful and you're stressed, maybe you're stressed over your finances or your job, maybe you've just lost your job. Hey, you can go to heaven, but you forgot about the peace that God has given you on earth. The Bible says that God will actually give you a perfect peace. A perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And I just want to make sure that you have that. You see, every time that you see that crown, you need to remember that he went through the pain in his head so that you won't have to go through the pain in yours. Listen, Jesus went through the pain in his head so that I don't have to go through the pain in my head. And can I tell you, I've experienced the peace of God. Man, right before I started this church, just a little over two years ago, I went through this season of depression that I, I was out of my mind. And I tried a lot of things. And can I tell you, nothing worked. But when I came to understand that God has given me a perfect peace, you need to experience that peace. You need to experience it. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that'll work. And after those thorns, after that crown, he was brought back into the public and they would actually make him carry his own cross to Golgotha. And he would bring that cross to a hill. And when he got there, they would drive nails into his hands, into his feet. Which, by the way, a lot of pictures have it right here, but it's probably right in his wrist. If you didn't know, in the Roman world, your hand was actually considered from your elbow to your finger. So that's why if you've ever seen a movie where there's like a Roman, Roman, old-fashioned Roman shaking hand, they shake hands like this because that's what your hand was your elbow to your fingertips. And so they probably nailed his hands right here so that he could be held up. And not only would they nail his hands, but they would nail his feet and they would probably give him they gave him a little bit of a bend in the knee. And specifically why they would bend the knee is because the goal was that after they had severed your shoulder muscles with the, that, that whip, that cat of nine tails, 
that you died because you couldn't push yourself up and you couldn't breathe with your body in that position, with your knees, with, 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 your, with your knees kind of bent like that. And so you had no shoulder muscles to pull you up and they wanted you to die by suffocation. So they made it essentially where, uh, in a really weird way, they would essentially hang you. And when you think about that, your, your hands, they nailed his hands and his feet. Why? Because your hands, they're everywhere you've, everything that you've ever done. Every single thing that you've ever done, you've done them with your hands. And your feet is every place you've ever gone. I want you to remember what Isaiah says. He says he was pierced for your transgressions. What does that mean? He was pierced for every place that you've ever gone that you went too far and for everything that you've ever done that you weren't supposed to do. That's why the nails, they represent freedom in your hands. He was pierced for your transgressions. Freedom from everything that you've ever done. Which, by the way, too many people say, well, well, the, the Lord has forgiven me of my sins. Can I tell you that the Lord wants to do something so much more than that? He not only wants to forgive you, but the Bible says in Hebrews 8 verse 12, he says, it not only does he want to forgive you from your wickedness, but he remembers your sin no more. Can I tell you that he not only pays for it, but he also forgets it. He doesn't even remember it. But some of you, you've been walking around with that shame and that guilt and that sin weighing you down every day. But Hebrews 9 would go on to say that just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify your conscience from sinful, from sinful deeds so that you, so that we can worship the living God. Can I tell you that he takes the stain and the shame and the guilt off your conscience. So stop carrying around that shame of everything that you've ever did and every place where you ever went. Can I tell you, Jesus took it and he took it in his hands and he took it in his feet and he wants to free you. That's why the nails represent freedom in your hands. He wants to free you. And finally, the Bible says that at the ninth hour, Jesus breathed his last breath, which most of the time, the crucifixion actually took days. And so it was kind of odd that he breathed his last breath so quick because most of the time it took days. In fact, most of the time when they felt merciful, they would actually take the spear and they would they would kind of put it in between the cross and your legs and they would break your legs so that you couldn't push up and grab air anymore. But the Bible says that at 3 p.m. at the ninth hour, Jesus breathed his last breath. They were kind of surprised because he wasn't supposed to die yet. And to make sure one of the Roman guards took a spear and they took that spear and they ran it 
and jabbed it underneath his rib cage. And they would actually jab his heart to make sure that he was actually dead. And the Bible says that out of his chest cavity came a mixture of blood and water, which medical science will tell you that because of that blood and that water, that his medical science would tell you that his heart had already been ruptured before they, they ruptured it. So how did Jesus die? Was it because of blood loss? No. Was it because of pain? No. Did he die of suffocation? No. He died because his heart was broken. And this means a lot to me because I've had my heart broken before. And Isaiah said that, that, that he, was, he was crushed. Proverbs 17 says, A merry heart is good like medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up your bones. I wonder how many of you on, 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 the, on the other side of your screen in your living room and if you're just scrolling on Facebook right now, I wonder how many of you on the other side of this has had your heart crushed before. Maybe it was through a divorce. Maybe it was because of a child. Maybe it was the death of someone so important to you. Maybe it was just because of disappointment. Maybe it was... Uh, maybe it was because of, of, of some business or a failure that you were a part of. Can I tell you that Jesus knew that you would go through that. And he had, he had to feel it. And he had to pay for it. In fact, listen, I'm brokenhearted right now that I don't get to be with you on Easter Sunday. I just feel, I feel like my job, my life, my friends, they've been taken away from me. But guess what? Jesus knew that my heart would be broke. He knew that your heart would be broke at one point in your life. And that's why the spear, the spear would represent the freedom in your heart. He was crushed for your iniquities. So he, he gives us healing in our body. Peace for your mind. Guilt free with your hands and your feet. But he gives you your joy back with his heart. Psalm 147. Psalm 147 says this. He, was, he heals the broken heart. And he binds up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted. And I wonder how many of you on the other side of this screen, you're brokenhearted. But Jesus is crushed for your broken heart. He heals your broken heart.
and he binds up your wounds. Let me pray for you right now. Let me pray for you. We're going to re receive communion in a moment. And then I'm going to pray for all these areas in your life that God would do just a supernatural work in your life. But let me just pray for you right now. Jesus, we just thank you. Jesus, we thank you so much. You paid such a high price for us. God, not just, Jesus, not just so that we would go to heaven one day, but Lord, because for the, so that we would have freedom in every area of our life. Jesus, we just thank you for that. God, we can only have it if we surrender our lives to you. And God, I pray right now that in just a, just a moment, I pray that scores of people on the other side of that screen, Lord, I pray that scores of people would just surrender their hearts to you. With heads bowed and eyes closed on the other side of that screen, you know that the reason that you're here today, some of you, you know the reason you're here today and remembering and celebrating you know it's because Jesus <laughs> did not stay dead. That's why we celebrate Easter. He rose three days later and he defeated death, hell, and the grave. That's what Easter is all about. He didn't stay dead. He's alive and that's what we're celebrating today. But if you're on the other side of that screen and you're far from God and your life isn't right with him and you know that, but you're ready to repent and you're ready to give your life to Jesus. You're ready to go all in with him. You're ready to let him be your Lord. Would you just pray wherever you are right now, would you just repeat this after me? Just say this with me. Say, Jesus, I need you. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for everything that I've ever done in my life without you. Say this to him. Say, I can't. I won't. I'm done. Today, I surrender. I give it all to you. Say these words and mean them in your heart. Be my Lord. Take over my life. I believe that you are the Son of God, the Christ, who can break the bondage off of my life. I believe you died. I believe you were buried. And today, I believe that you rose again from the death. And today, I put my faith in you. Say it. I put my faith in you. Thank you, Jesus. I receive it today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen.